Upward family, great to see y'all today. Everybody doing well? Good, good, good. I was almost late getting up here this morning. I was at the doctor this morning already. Uh, I fell and hurt my leg about a month ago. I fell and really hurt my leg really bad. And my wife's been telling me, you're going to have a doctor look at that. You're going to have a doctor look at that. So I met my favorite doctor out in the parking lot this morning. (laughs) And I pulled up my pants leg and he looked at it. Best doctor visit I ever had in my life. No needles, no copay. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. But I made it in here today and I'm okay. I'm going to survive. Good to see y'all today. We're in part five in the conclusion, I think, no, part six of our series called Choose Joy. And we've learned that joy is something you can choose. It's not something that just drifts in and drifts out of your life. It's something you can make a choice to walk in joy each and every day of your life, even when things are bad, even when things are not going your way. Now, sometimes when I preach a message to you, I get a feeling like, yeah, I've got this. I've got this under control. I can handle this. I've really learned this, and I'm I'm kind of an expert because I've been through this, and I can really tell you from personal experience how this works in my life. This is not one of those messages. I'm just telling you that today. This is one of the ones that I'm struggling with in my own life as I studied it and as I read it. I didn't exactly like all of it, but this is what I've learned about the Bible. You don't have to like it. You just have to believe it and obey it. You don't have to enjoy obedience. You just have to obey. Can I get an amen? You just, you just do what God says. You don't have to feel obedience. You just obey. So when God gives us a word that challenges us that we don't necessarily like, it's time for us to grow. It's time for us to stretch. This message, several of them in Choose Joy, I get Joy in finding your mission, oh, I get that, and I love that, and I could just preach on that. When you talk about joy in community, oh, I just love that, and I love community. Uh, John preached a great message called joy in surrendering the outcomes. I have a little more problem with that. That's difficult to do. Uh, The one last week, joy in letting go. I mean, I probably got about a C-plus in that one, but at least I got a passing grade. This one today is called choosing joy through suffering. And this is not the one that I have a good handle on. This is the one that I think all of us probably struggle with. Can we choose joy through suffering? Here's what I've found, folks, and here's what I've come to understand. A big part of choosing joy is to allow the Lord to align my heart and my mind with Him. And when I allow the Lord to align my heart and my mind with Him... I can walk in joy. My dad was an automobile mechanic for many years, and once he taught me how to align headlights on a car. And this is back in the older days than we have now. It was actually a big thing with mirrors on it and a suction cup. And anybody ever worked with one of those before? How many here would remember that? You stuck it on there, and it had mirrors that surely they've got something better than that now. Do they? Somebody tell me they can do it differently now. But it was mirrors you lined up to get your headlights. And it was an old car, and we did that. And he said it's important for them to be in alignment. It is so important, church, for our heart and our mind to be in alignment with the thought, with the mind, with the heart, and with the will of God. And when he gets us in alignment with him, we can truly walk in joy. The Apostle Paul chose joy time and time and time again. In every opportunity, he had to get bitter. In every opportunity, he had to stay angry. He chose to walk in joy. And I think the reason was that his heart was so aligned 
with the heart of God. Now, the Apostle Paul was an expert in suffering because he suffered a lot. And I love this fact about the Apostle Paul's life, that God was honest with him when he called him about the suffering that he would go through. Now, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. His name was Saul. And uh, this is an amazing story in the New Testament, if you're not aware of it. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians in our study and who wrote most of the New Testament, before he came to Christ, he persecuted the church. He would go into cities and have Christians thrown in jail because of their faith. He was the biggest persecutor of the church that had ever lived, and he became the greatest preacher that the church ever knew. Don't tell me Jesus can't change a life. He can turn a life around 180 degrees. Paul was on his way, actually, to find more Christians and to have them thrown in jail when he ran into Jesus on the road. And Jesus spoke to him out of a blinding light. And Saul found himself on the ground. He was converted dramatically. But after his conversion, he went back home and he was blind. He couldn't see. So God spoke to a man named Ananias. And he said, Ananias, here's where Saul is I want you to go down there and pray with him and give him his first baby steps as a Christian. Ananias said, I don't know about this, Lord. Anybody ever said that when God asked you to do something? I don't know about this, Lord. Have you heard of this guy? This could be a trap. This guy gets Christians thrown in jail, and you're asking me to go and minister to the greatest persecutor? Let me just tell you, obey God even when it doesn't make sense. You may open a door that will change the world. Ananias went down and he visited with Saul there and he prayed for him. But here's what God said to Ananias, and I want you to hear about the calling of Paul. God said to Ananias, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. What an incredibly high calling. Imagine that. God looks at the guy persecuting, trying to destroy the church and says, that's the one I'm going to use to take my message to the world. God can use anybody. Amen. Paul was highly educated. God can even use smart people. God can even use PhDs. Amen. You didn't laugh at that one like I thought you would, but okay, we'll go on. He said, he's my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings. This man is going to stand before kings as well as to the people of Israel. What a high calling. Then God talked about the second part of his calling. He said, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Imagine that. Everybody wants to receive the first part, stand before kings. I want to be God's messenger. I want God to move in my life and use my life for his purposes, but not everybody wants to latch on to this second part. In fact, nobody wants to latch on to this second part initially. For God said, I'm going to show him that suffering is going to be a big part of his life, a big part of his mission, and a big part of his calling. And indeed it was. Paul was called to tremendous ministry. He was also called to great suffering for Christ, and he suffered in his public ministry, Paul was converted probably about age 30. He was martyred, killed for his faith when he was around 60. So he had 30 years there. He spent about 14 of those in the wilderness hearing from God. That leaves him 15. He spent about five and a half of those as a prisoner. 
So he only really had about nine and a half years when he was completely free to move around and to preach out in public. Yet he maintained this incredible joy through this suffering. I don't want to gloss this over. I don't want to speed past this because there is a thinking in the world today that if you're a Christian, you should never suffer. That if you're really following Jesus, that nothing will ever go wrong in your life. And you get books out there and sometimes that promise, follow Jesus and everything's going to be easy. I mean, that's what they say. You go to a bookstore or you search Amazon and there'll be books everywhere about how uh, Jesus wants to make your life better. And I say, amen, he does. You've heard me preach that. He wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. He wants to deliver you. He wants to move in your life and do great things. And it's true, anytime people come to Jesus, their life gets better. Did you know every time the message of the gospel goes into a country, especially an underdeveloped country, when people receive the message of the gospel, the level of that country always goes up. The prosperity of that country increases. Business grows, right? Good things happen. But what I want to guard against is this idea that Jesus died to make your life better. If that's the only thing we believe, and if that, that's our number one focus, we can never receive this message. If it's just that Jesus died to make things easy for me, we're not going to be ready for the days to come. I want to prep you now for days to come, okay? I want to put something in your heart and in your soul through the Word of God that will help you endure through whatever comes our way. There's a cultural Christianity out there that's simply not New Testament Christianity. There's a cultural Christianity that's not ancient, authentic New Testament Christianity. A passion is arising in my heart. Day after day after day, it keeps building in my heart that I want to take the legacy of the early church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and I want to live in 2023 with the same power, the same love, the same dedication, the same sold-out life to Jesus Christ that they had. And I want to see the presence and the power of God manifest in my generation. Can I get an amen? I, don't want, I want revival to go, but folks, I want to experience it in my own life. And if I'm going to do that, I have to embrace what the early church, the New Testament church embraced, and they embraced the idea that serving Jesus would cost them some things. The Apostle Paul suffered greatly. Now, now here's a verse you probably don't hear preached too much, and maybe not, but uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul said this about his life. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 27, he said, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night, you ready to sign up for the Apostle Paul School of Ministry? 
Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea, I've traveled many long journeys. I faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked hard and long, endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Paul didn't sign up for an easy life, and he didn't get an easy life. Even as he wrote the book of Philippians that we're studying right now in this passage, he did not know whether he would be released or whether he would be executed. We know the end of the story. Around A.D. 64, much of Rome burned. There was a great fire in Rome. Many scholars today look back and believe that Nero, the emperor, was responsible for the fire himself. Much of Rome burned, and after it was done, Nero was such an evil, sadistic ruler that he blamed the Christians for the fire that he likely had started himself. And there was an intense persecution of Christians. Eusebius, the church historian, tells us that it was along about this time that the Apostle Paul was taken outside the city and he was beheaded for his faith. Interesting fact is normally an enemy of the state like that would have been crucified, but Paul was a Roman citizen and that exempted him from being hung on a cross ever. So he was beheaded. That was the end of his earthly life. Yet through it all, this man exuded joy. I want that kind of power in my life. I said I want that kind of power in my life. I want to live that way. How did he do it? Paul said this. Now we're going to get to our passage. You ready? You're thinking finally he's getting to the text today. Philippians 1 29 and 30. First of all, verse 29, he said, here's what he said before this. I didn't put it in here. He said, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Not in any way be terrified by your adversaries. Don't be scared of those that come against you. Can I say something upward today? We have nothing to fear from our enemies, for God is our strength. He is our shield. He is our fortress. He keeps us safe. We don't have to be afraid of people coming against us. We're Christians. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. We wear the armor of God. We take up the shield of faith with which the word says we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy, not 90% of them. All of them can be quenched with the shield of faith. Paul said, don't be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of being lost, of perdition, but to you of salvation. He's telling them, don't be afraid of the things that are coming against you. And then he uses this verse, he, he writes this, he said, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Man, that one doesn't go down easy. Paul calls suffering for Christ a privilege. The reason I believe Paul could be so joyful through everything that came at him is that he saw suffering differently than I do. He said it was a privilege to suffer for Jesus. In fact, he says it this way. It makes it so difficult. I, this is tough. 
This is not fun to preach. This point that I have, Paul calls suffering a privilege. I struggle with that. But I want you to understand something here at Upward and many, many places around the world. We're dedicated to being true to God's word. Even when we don't like it. Even when it's not rah, rah, rah. You know what I meant by that, right? Y'all don't laugh when I want you to, and then you laugh when I don't understand. So I meant like cheering. Move on, preacher, move on. Even when you don't leave saying, man, I'm so glad I came to church to hear that today. Sometimes we need to come and get challenged, and this is one of those days. Paul said suffering for Jesus is a privilege. If your Christian life is all about you, you'll never get this. If your Christian life is so inwardly focused that the whole point of your faith is just to get stuff for you, and understand, I know there's a balance here, but if that is your focus, you can't walk in this kind of grace. Jesus did not die to give us our best life. He died so that we could lay down our lives. That's New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christians understood that they would not have an easy road. New Testament Christians had no hope of the next election. They didn't get to go to the polls and get rid of Nero. They knew. They had no expectation that the culture would back up their mission. They had no expectation that Rome was going to agree with them on what they stood for. Yet they exuded power and joy and strength. And they walked in sacrifice many times in suffering. How in the world, pastor, can I see suffering as a privilege? Understand what Paul said. He, when he says you've been given, he said, you, literally in the Greek, he said, you have been graced with suffering. Preacher, my theology doesn't fit with that. Well, you better fix your theology. Anytime my theology does not line up with what the Word says, it's my theology that needs changing, not the Word. I don't correct it. I let it correct me. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Hallelujah. He's preaching today. You have been graced with suffering. He even compares it to not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, that's the privilege of being saved, but the privilege of suffering. When you begin to let God align your heart with his, you can start to see suffering as a privilege. I've learned this about suffering. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't want it for you. I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want to be blessed. I just want to, I don't want troubles. But suffering is often the part of the calling of the church. And there may still be some suffering ahead for the church 
in our world today. I want you to hear me today. I'm very positive about the future. I'm very positive about the future. God has our future in control. When world events look crazy as they do now, when you see things going on in the world now and think, oh, dear Lord, where are the grown-ups? Oh, I'm sorry, but sometimes I watch the news. I said, somebody needs to call an adult. I need an adult to come on the world stage somewhere. When you see all that and you feel insecure, once you know I'm very positive about what God's doing in our world and he's still in control and he's going to take care of us. And I believe God's going to send a revival to his church. I believe God's going to send a revival to his church. I believe we're in the middle of it. I believe it's growing. I believe it's coming. And I believe it's going to change our nation. I truly believe that. I'm asking God for a spiritual awakening in the United States like we've never had that would spread all over the world. I'm believing for that. But I want you to understand this too. It could get bumpy for Christians. It already is bumpy for Christians. I was on a flight a couple of years ago and before we took off, the pilot came to the cabin. The pilot, the captain, didn't even talk to us on the intercom. He came out in the cabin like, oh, Lord, what's going on? This is before we even took off. He said, folks, we're going to get you to Asheville tonight, but it's going to be rough. I'm like, oh, dear God. I curled up in the fetal position and said, oh, dear God. And it was. There could be some bumpy times ahead for the church. I want you to be ready. Because if you've got a dose of cultural Christianity that says all Jesus will ever do is make you comfortable, when bumpy times come, you're going to disappear. Because the Jesus you're serving was not the real Jesus. Oh, I just said that. The Jesus you were serving was not the Jesus that sometimes calls us to walk through suffering together. Are you ready, church? These times call for people who are willing to stand up. These times call for people who are willing to stand in the battle between good and evil. Can I get an amen, church? And there is a culture out there that wants to shut you up, that wants to silence you, that wants to cancel you, that wants to intimidate you, that wants to demean you and disrespect you and tell you you're not good enough and you're not smart enough and you're not enlightened enough and you're not tolerant enough. I want you to hear me. The church is called to stand upon the truth of God's word. And we're called to be salt and light on this earth, even if it costs us. Many Christians today are being intimidated into silence by the cancel culture. They can't cancel the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can't cancel the word of God. The truth cannot be canceled. You can beat it up. You can try to hide it. You can try to twist it. But the truth will always endure. And it will come out. Amen. We must be prepared. Now, here's what I've learned about suffering that helps me understand it as a privilege. I can't say I've landed yet, but I'm working through it. Here's what I've learned. When we suffer, we actually grow. Can I tell you, when we suffer, we grow. 
I grow more when I'm hurting. I pray more when I'm hurting. Anybody? Please raise your hand. I, I just want to know that I'm not all alone up here. When I'm hurting, my prayer life goes 100 miles an hour. And this is just me. When things get a little easier, my prayer life will drift back down. When I'm struggling, I'm in the Word because i got to have it to live. You ever gone through such a time that you had to have a Bible verse before you got out of the house? You might be in it now. You woke up, give me my Bible. But things level out, and I tend to get more dependent on myself again. Paul wrote this about five years before, about two years actually before Philippians. He wrote, no, it's five. That's why I got my notes here. Romans 5, Paul said, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Will somebody take that home today? We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Because we will. He said, here's how. For we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Paul said, when I hit a suffering time or a tough time, I can rejoice because I know what it's doing in me. We grow in suffering. Here's another thing. When we suffer, we develop an intimacy with other believers and with Christ that we can get no other way. When I've suffered before and walked through difficult times, I've gotten closer to the body of Christ. Can I say again, when my wife was sick, couple years ago she was sick for a couple of years really struggling it was a difficult traumatic time I can't tell you how much your prayers meant to us how much your phone calls your texts I would see people at church how's Alexis blood I never got tired of that before I'd come to church I'd get my speech ready of how her blood was because 50,000 people were going to ask me about that and I loved every single minute of it because by saying that, they were saying, I love you. And I can't tell you, we've been here how long, 20, almost 26 years now. I've never felt closer to Upward Christian Fellowship and never for, felt more like a part of this family than I did when we suffered. We came into that knowing we were family. We came through it and out of it feeling like we were family like never before. Because when you've walked through tough times with somebody, you get close to them. There's an intimacy. I read a story the other day about a reunion at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania of the men who fought in the Battle of Gettysburg. And they had a reunion like 1932. And the Battle of Gettysburg was like 1863. So it was like the guys who fought in it were like 80, 90 years old. And they decided they're going to reenact the battle. Can you imagine a bunch of 90-year-olds reenacting the battle? Somebody's going to get hurt. They decided they were going to reenact Pickett's Charge. And there aren't many of them left. You know, there's like 40 of them out there, 40 rebels out there coming across that field. And then there was 40 Yankees behind the stone wall. And the, the rebels came out across uh, the field there at Pickett's Charge. And they said they gave the rebel yell, I guess as best as you can when you're 90 years old. When they gave the rebel yell, the Yankees jumped out from behind that stone wall and started moving toward them. And they met and they hugged. 
powerful moment in American history when the veterans who had fought each other hugged on the same field where however many years previous they had been killing each other. Even though they fought against each other, there was an intimacy because of what they had been through together. We develop an intimacy with other believers. We develop an intimacy with Christ when we enter into what Paul called in Philippians 3, the fellowship of his sufferings. When I think about my Lord hanging on a cross and bleeding and dying and giving his life for me, anybody ever feel overwhelmed that the king of the universe died for you? Does anybody feel unworthy that the King of kings and the Lord of lords came to earth and left the glory of heaven and came to this earth and did all kinds of good, healed, opened blinded eyes, raised from the dead, preached the truth, loved people. And all that humanity could do was hang him on a tree and kill him. And he hung there for you and for me. I feel so unworthy of that. But when I think about that, I begin to catch a little glimmer of what Paul may have said, meant when he said the fellowship of his sufferings. That maybe in some small way, as I suffer for the cause of Christ, I'm a part of what he did. We fellowship with him in his sufferings. Paul knew that joy. I got one more point left and I'm over time. What do you say? We finish? Yeah, y'all already got your car parked. You're okay with that. All right. Last point, when we suffer, we earn rewards in heaven. I'm laying up treasure this morning, and you're laying up treasure, everything you suffer for the cause of Christ. Something's being put in an account in heaven. Now, Christians don't like the word earn in heaven together with good purpose, with good reason. We don't earn heaven. We get in by the blood of Jesus Christ and we get in by faith in him. We don't get into heaven because of a good conduct medal. We get into heaven because he died for us. And we receive that. But your behavior does influence your reward. Here's the thing. Everybody's going to be in heaven. Some going to have more rewards than others. It's going to be the people you don't expect. You hear this said a lot. There are going to be a lot of praying grannies who are running things in heaven. Amen. You're going to answer. I don't know if we're going to salute in heaven, but if we salute, we'll be falling at the feet of Jesus and we'll be saluting a lot of praying grandmas. Amen. I got one up there now. But we will earn rewards in heaven through our suffering. Here's what Jesus said, and I'm going to quit. God blesses you. His greatest sermon, Sermon on the Mount, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Here's what Jesus says. Be happy about it. I've had to do this two weeks in a row now. Right here. I know this is not the Bible, but this is a printed verse. Be happy about it. When they mock you, be happy. When they persecute you, be happy. Rejoice, for here's what he said, be very glad for a great reward 
a great reward awaits you in heaven. It's coming. The early Christians, many of them died for their faith. Many, many of them. Rome killed all kinds of people. Not just Christians. They killed pagans. They killed all kinds of people. If you were an enemy of Rome, they'd kill you and make a game out of it. Really. They'd take their enemies and put them out there and feed them to animals and there'd be a great bunch of people cheering. You think our world's gone evil? Man, Rome had some serious evil going on. You know what they realized? They would say, these Christians die differently. Christians died differently. I read this story. A man named St. Thomas that was executed in the 3rd century A.D. Rome executed him. And they hated him so much, they came up with the most cruel torture possible. They grilled him to death. Oh, I got to love this, though. You know what he did? As he was laying on the fire, he looked at his executors and said, Turn me over. I'm done on this side. If I had a neighbor beside me now, I'd be high-fiving right now. I'd just say, yes. Death didn't conquer him. There was one martyr of the early church. They condemned him to hang on the gallows. It was a little later, so it was a little more humane, a gallows. And he was an old man. He'd been in prison a long time. And he was trying to get up the steps of the gallows to be hung. And he couldn't get up. And he talked to the executioner. He said, sir, please help me up the steps. He said, I'll come down by myself. <laughs> no fear. No regrets. Joy. Those people knew something we forget. Those people knew they were on heaven's doorstep. Those people knew that they were just about to meet Jesus face to face. Those people knew that greater is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth because it's the day they enter in. Here's the difference, and I'm quitting. The Romans would say Christians died differently. The pagans would often die cursing Rome. The Christians would always die singing to their king. Nero would set them on fire. Nero hung them like candles in his garden and put wax around them and burned them to light his garden. And much to his chagrin, hymns and songs of praise to the Lord would be ushered up into heaven by them as they died. Amen. Folks, the Christian calling is not for the faint of heart. It's called for people who want to live for Jesus despite the cost and carry the joy through this life no matter what they do, no matter what it costs, we're going forward. Church, can I get an amen? The world needs us, church. Are we going to stand? The world needs us, church. Are we going to be afraid? No. The world needs the gospel of Jesus and the people of Jesus. Even when we're called to suffer, let's stand fast. Stay the course. Amen. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for your truth, for your life. In Jesus' name, we believe this. We receive this in your mighty name. If anyone's here, head bowed and eyes closed, please. If you're here in this place and you say, Pastor, I'm saying yes to Jesus as my Savior this morning. I won't embarrass you. I'd love to see your hand right now. Anybody? I'm saying yes to Jesus this morning. God bless you. God bless you so much. That's just awesome. God bless you. Incredible, incredible, incredible.
How many would say, Pastor, I'm suffering a bit right now. I got some suffering going on in my life now for the sake of Christ. Pray for me. Can I see your hand? Amen. I see him. I see him. Jesus, be with him. Pray with me right now if you're saying yes to Jesus here or online. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me, for dying for me today. I ask your forgiveness. I repent and come to you. And I surrender all of my life to you today as my Savior and as my Lord. Amen, amen. Please let me bless you this morning. You ready? I want to bless you with a prayer from Philippians, from the Apostle Paul. He said to these people he greatly beloved, he said, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, that you may be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I commission you, go out of this place filled with the Holy Spirit and make Jesus known everywhere you go. Be blessed, be safe, be fruitful. Love you. See you next time. Hey, we start a series next week called Parables I Never Understood.